When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Over the past few months, businesses, especially small businesses, have faced a lot of proverbial lemons, but the power of pivoting has become clearer than ever. We're here to share stories from PayPal merchants who have pivoted their businesses during COVID-19, innovating their way through uncertain and strenuous times. Welcome to The Adaptables. Welcome back, everyone. As you know, I'm your host, Sarah Davidson, and I'm delighted to have Kim from Mr. Yum on the show today. As a devout foodie and regular restaurant goer, I was hugely excited when Mr. Yum launched in November 2018 to allow you to see what your meal looks like before you order it by simply scanning a QR code on the venue's menu. But as a cafe owner, I've also experienced Mr. Yum from the other side of the brunch table, both before and since the COVID-19 pandemic, and I'm so excited to dive a little deeper into the business's journey, the challenges and learnings over the past few months. I'll let Kim tell you more herself. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's so good to be here. It's so lovely to see you properly after the last few months of getting on the platform and hearing all about your story. It's lovely to see you. Totally, you too. And so awesome that you've got yeah, experience of both a customer on the user side as well as the venue side. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. I always like to see what my food looks like before I eat it. So that makes me so happy when I first discovered you. <laughs> That's exactly how it started. It was what most people would say, a pretty silly idea. I don't think it's silly at all. I think <laughs> you've obviously discovered since beginning that many people like me have just been out there waiting for someone to fill that gap. <laughs> <laughs> and Asians figured it out ages ago, putting photos on menus. But then it got a bad <laughs> reputation, right? It got a reputation of being the photo laminated menu that kind of cheapened the product a little bit so yeah just trying to figure out how to have a visual menu that looks good yeah absolutely helps the customer but also creates some yeah an awesome brand well I definitely want to get more into how that idea developed and also all those points that you wanted to make different to what was an existing offering at the time but we have a little icebreaker question first just to get things started what is the biggest assumption you had about going into business before you went into business that got busted as soon as you started biggest assumption I don't think I realized just how hard it was to find a like the financial stuff was really challenging when I was young I always did good corporate jobs and you don't understand what a good salary package means and just getting paid really well every month and you really take that for granted (laughs) and I think when I got first got into business I just thought it would be you know create a good product put it out there people would pay for it didn't realize how hard it was to get to the point where you were financially profitable and stable as a business. Yeah, I think that was the biggest myth. Like when you're in a job, you don't you don't understand who's paying for that salary and how hard it is to actually make enough money to pay someone a salary. And the first yeah few years in business were definitely getting over that hurdle of yeah, like people just the cash flow stuff is really stressful. Um, and then once you get over not having as much money in the bank, you think you just get used to seeing different numbers than what you what you what you used to see before I'm sure I'm sure anyone that transitioned from a corporate job into a into a self-employed role has been through that 
transition. I did exactly the same. I was a corporate lawyer before Matcha, you know, the whole Matcha mission. And I think that's up there with my biggest assumption as well. I just totally took for granted, not just a consistent salary, but also like annual leave, sick leave, that someone pays your taxes. Like there's just so many things that I'm almost glad that I was more naive to that before I started because that actually allowed me to start and I didn't overthink it like I might have if I actually knew that. <laughs> totally. And now like sometimes I hear people talk about how it's so awesome to work from home because they can basically bludge. <laughs> <laughs> and still get their salary. <laughs> but yeah, the, the financial side I think was like totally overlooked. I was like, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So take us through that whole journey from the very first conception of your idea to kind of having to deal with the realities once you got up and going because I think the process itself is something that until you've heard people talk about it in order you really forget they've had all these revelations along the way so yeah take us back all the way to 2018 when you decided there was a gap how you decided you were going to fill that and then practically how you got it off the ground yeah sure by the time I started Misty Young with Kerry and Aiden my two co-founders we'd already failed a startup together had a consulting business together. I had sold an e-commerce business prior to that before. So by the time we started Mr. Yam, we were pretty, you know, we knew what we were up for in, in terms of a challenge. The idea was really simple and actually so much aligned with what you were talking about, being able to visualize food. We noticed that menus just look like text-based Word documents, which a lot of them were created in Word, printed on a nice piece of paper, and that menu hadn't evolved for about 250 years and it just always <laughs> looked it just, like you look at menus from 250 years ago and they just look like older more calligraphy type writing but exactly the same format meanwhile people going on instagram looking for photos and you know cafes like yours put so much effort into creating these beautiful visual dishes but they weren't able to showcase them before someone placed an order partially to do with um, helping customers make better decisions, but also partially helping venues show off the food that they put so much effort into before a customer actually decides what to order. And then, you know, you reduce the risk of FOMO and you reduce someone being disappointed because they didn't know what the thing was before they got it. And customers were already doing it, going on Instagram, going on Zomato, going on Google Photos, like trying to piece together the puzzle of this thing's got smoked salmon on it, maybe it's this thing, or trying to order off Instagram, but actually that dish was three months old and it's not on the menu anymore, which used to happen all the time. Um, I totally have had that happen to me before. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, you spent 10 minutes deciding what you want, and now the thing that you decided you want is actually not on the menu anymore. So that's how Mr. Yum started. It was really, really simple when we began. We started to then add interesting things like language translations, ingredient descriptions, and just tried to go hard at creating the best version of a visual menu. And very quickly, customers started asking us, can we take orders and take payment through it? Which makes sense. If you've got a customer engaged in a the menu, then you know why can't they then place an order and take a payment and save the staff some admin time and having to go around and take an order walk over to the point of sale and put it into the point of sale. So there's a bit of admin in the in the labor component that we can save as well. And then COVID came along and we were a full in-venue ordering and visual menu products. Our customers, like our volume um, in terms of transactions went to zero on the same day that 
all of the cafes and restaurants and pubs in Australia had to close. And within a couple of days of that happening, I remember on the 25th of March, we rolled out our pickup and delivery extensions to the product. And that was just completely reactionary to COVID. That probably wouldn't have been on the roadmap for at least another 12 months if it didn't happen. But I'm really glad that we made a decision really early to do it. About seven days before the lockdown, we decided to start building the pickup and delivery because we'd heard from some of our customers that we would most likely, based on what everyone in the world was doing at the time, all of the countries that were getting affected were slowly locking down. So we knew that we would probably have to do the same. And what would we do if we couldn't, if our restaurants were closing and our cafes were closing, how could we help them stay open online? and pick up and delivery was, you know, the only option at the time. So Mm. extending the product was definitely a reaction to what happened, but it it was actually probably some of the best weeks in terms of team morale, in terms of, you know, customer sentiment and in terms of what we felt like we were doing for the industry. It's so interesting in talking to businesses like you that have had these huge moments of pivoting and adapting, looking at your decision-making and action plans sort of pre-COVID and, you know, how long we would have spent on decisions and research, then looking at actually how efficient your team can really be when they're put under a time pressure and sort of just comparing like, oh my gosh, why were we doing things so slowly how we were doing them before? But before you actually did get to, you know, in, in 2019 or 2018, 19, as you were growing before COVID was even on the radar, how are you making decisions about your infrastructure? And, you know, your platform is online by nature, even before delivery was introduced. So you've been online from the very beginning, embracing digital. But how did you sort of set up your online infrastructure? Because I think that's something a lot of people have only now had to start looking at with COVID. And yeah. when did you become a PayPal merchant as well in that process? I think you mentioned at the time that you had a lot of customers asking, which is what really sparked that move. Yeah, for sure. When we first started, we actually just ran it as a really low-key experiment and we never expected it to go anywhere. It started as an experiment. We thought if we can get three cafes or three restaurants or just three venues in our area to say yes to a pilot and those three venues were the closest cafe to us which is Lemon Middle and Orange. It's just this like neighborhood venue and then Cromwell Street which is also super close to us and then Three Bags Full and Abbotsford, which is another like incredibly, just all the venues that we'd like frequented and had seen our face heaps of times before. They were the first to try the visual menu and we set ourselves a, an experiment target that if less than 5% of people use it, we're just going to put it in the bin and tell no one ever that we'd done anything about it and we'll just consider it not a worthwhile pursuit. On the, in the first week, we got 16% of people using it, 16% of customers using it. And that's when we started to take things pretty seriously and pretty much within three weeks of starting the experiment, Adrian said to me, you've got to go full time. We had a pretty big transition out of the consulting business that we were running into Mr. Yum. And I transitioned first and then Kerry came about two months later. And then it took us about pretty much eight or nine months to get Adrian full time into Mr. Yum. It was a bit of a transition for our team. How we went online, we actually used, we had a junior developer who built uh, Mr. Yum's front end, which is like a React front end, and it took him two or three weeks to do, really simple. But we used a platform called Airtable, which 
is one of the most amazing tools and any any entrepreneur can pretty much build a database in Airtable and it's just like a spreadsheet on steroids where you put <laughs> you put menu items into it um, there's an API and it connects up with the front end and then it just publishes it instantly so we essentially like didn't build a backend for Mr. Yum at all when we first started we just used Airtable which costs you know maybe 80 bucks a month or something and then got a junior to do the front end and then put the two together and that helped us get live in like two and a half three weeks so it's a really quick yeah a really quick build to to getting there and actually one of the developers in our team early on two of them actually they've now started a course on how to uh, build platforms off Airtable after seeing how awesome it was for us and then we had to go back and obviously you know rebuild your own backend and once you start to scale you can do different things but it was a really quick and easy way to get off the ground and the the product is amazing and then we at the start just used any you know we we were just trying to use the simplest kind of payment gateway that we could find one that our team were familiar with but after doing that we actually got a lot of requests for paypal and we didn't have it at the start and we got requests for it very often so we looked to transition and start using PayPal and actually expected maybe five to 10% of our volume to go through it. But we get 20%, 15, 20% of our volume go through PayPal, which is insane. It's it's a really big uh, percentage compared to what we had expected. I think it's largely to do with the recognized brand. And as well, if you're sitting at home placing an order for Mr. Yum, and it's a platform that's very new and maybe you haven't used it before, there's a lot of trust in seeing a PayPal brand and then knowing that if you put your payment through PayPal that you've got some bias security there so there's a few niceties around the security element that I think people are attracted to and prefer to use if it's a platform they've never experienced or used before and given we're still new a lot of customers haven't used Mistyum before we saw that as like a nice advantage that we could give our our merchants as well our, our venues to have a trusted source they can get their menu online easily, but then also to have a trusted payment source is quite important. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is one of the things when you first begin is you kind of assume that you have to reinvent the wheel in every single part of your business, but actually there are so many existing beautiful platforms that you can really leverage and use to build community and trust. And then a lot of them you end up keeping, which is really interesting. At the start, when we first started the business, I was like, we have to create everything ourselves and everything in-house. But And you can bootstrap as well at the beginning as well. Like you mentioned, you don't have to go straight to full tech development platform from scratch to start. I love that, that idea and reminder that you can start small and really grow into your business. Yeah. So then let's go back or jump forward should I say, to 2020 and COVID-19. And it sounds like you were actually already quite agile getting, you know, from idea to sort of an actual platform live in three weeks, but I'm sure probably not as agile as you've had to be since then. You mentioned that everything went to zero sort of as lockdown happened. I think one of the really important things to go through in hindsight even though it hasn't been that long is to look at your initial reaction and then how you went from panic to let's do something with that like panic to proactive takes a a different time for everyone what was your process sure of doing that I feel like it was actually like panic and proactive almost in parallel for like the first three weeks of the situation We got a phone call from one of our big customers very early on, about seven days before lockdown. And he said, the city is very likely to go into lockdown. 
we've already got Mr. Yum running in the venue, doing ordering, scan a QR code, order from the table. Could we not have customers sitting at home, scan a QR code and go on a link and order from their phone and then we can deliver it or they can come and pick up their dish, their food, right? So it was like a customer-led insight that we were about to go into lockdown. And for us to make a decision around pickup or delivery, I don't think we felt like we had a decision to make. I actually just think we thought it was immediately, how can we do this? Not, are we going to do this or not? The lockdown could have gone on for six months. We could have been sitting around for six months wondering how to best help our restaurants rather than just getting on the front foot and having a solution for them out of the gate. So, but then from a business point of view, I guess, from a founder point of view, there was a lot of advice from people that had like, I remember jumping on a podcast, going on podcasts and listening to advisors that have been through the GSD investment backed companies that had, you know, limited cash in the bank and maybe were about to be going through a fundraising exercise and that might be delayed 12 months. How do you deal with the cash flow situation? How do you deal with the uncertainty of how long it would be before like normal would return? Mm. And listening to people that had been through the GFC as like the most recent kind of economic crisis as a reminder of what we could do now. And everything that I heard was, you know, preserve your cash if you can. Definitely hiring freezes. We actually went to our team and asked them if they would do a salary sacrifice for equity in Mr. Yum. So they've all got wow. equity. They've all got equity in Mr. Yum anyway, but would it be possible to do a, you know, we did 20% salary sacrifice or a re- reduction in pay, but you don't miss out. You get, you know, further stock and options. And they were amazing, like really, really awesome. Some even went harder than 20% and saw it as an opportunity to help the team. We didn't have to let anyone go at all. And actually within six weeks, our volume returned from pre-COVID and actually we ended up surpassing what we were doing pre-lockdown just with pickup and delivery. Oh, Kim, so like, that's amazing. Yes, in six weeks we'd pretty much like rebuilt a whole new revenue model, done better than what we were doing with table ordering in venue up with pickup and delivery, onboarded hundreds of venues at that point with the same team that we had previously and then we pulled back the you know hiring freeze and pay reductions we were like we don't need to do this anymore we're clearly fine we did go pretty hard at listening to advice around conserving cash and doing a hiring freeze and all that sort of stuff but it did take us about eight weeks and post the eight weeks we just started hiring again because we were you know growing and struggling to keep up with the growth based on how many resources that we had so yeah we went on like hold for about eight weeks as we just like knuckled down and tried to do everything that we could but yeah like panic around how to communicate that to your team and how to expect them to do way more for less not that they were getting paid overall less as a package because they were getting options but you know still taking a hit on cash in the bank but having to do way more and work way harder and and not be able to have extra resources on board to do that. So, mm. and then as well, like every phone call that we did with a restaurant was panic, like the anxiety, the excitement and anxiety, like it was a lot of, well, this is happening. There's nothing we can do about it. What can we do about it? And it's a lot of excitement, but also at the time there was no announcements about JobKeeper. You would remember the first mm. few weeks of the first lockdown, people didn't know what JobKeeper would look like or what the packages would look like. So there was definitely a lot of running the numbers on many different scenarios and the numbers not looking too good. So 
yeah, I think panic and proactive at the same time, like just having to put the panic aside and try and get on with what we thought would be the most helpful thing for our customers. Mm, it's so, so interesting. You're the first person who's said that they actually even thought to look at the closest or the most proximate in time situation that's similar to this. And the GFC wasn't that long ago and the parallels aren't that different. You know, there are some in really important lessons to draw from that. But I actually haven't heard of anyone straight away going, well, obviously we look at the material and ideas people had then. That is in itself, I think, really out of the box thinking that it characterises being an adaptable and obviously everything <laughs> that you guys have done. But also the fact that staffing and people management has been one of the biggest pressures, as well as cash flow, actually communicating because in a small business, your staff are family. That's been the next biggest challenge that people have had in common. But you're, again, the first business that has thought out, outside of the box to the extent of instead of just letting go of people altogether, offering options is so innovative. That is absolutely <laughs> so clever and a way to make it work for both of you that doesn't – and for everyone that allows you to make collective decisions. I think, like, well done. I wouldn't have thought of that. I didn't – I can't take full credit for that. We, um, <laughs> we have a really awesome leadership team and actually Adrian and I were struggling a little bit on, you know, what to say and how to say it and – that was probably the thing we were seeking a lot of advice from our business mentors, but also our accountants. And because you can't actually ask your staff to take a pay cut, you can only offer them a suggestion and then they have to accept. Like it's not actually legal to just force them to take a pay cut. Mm. But then one of our uh, leadership team, his name's Justin, he wrote us an email. He was like, guys, I actually think we're going to be fine because we're killing it. Like, <laughs> but I get what you're doing and I understand that you feel the need to protect our position. We had plenty of runway, like lucky startups just have cash in the bank. You know, you've got investment, you lock it away. Like we had plenty of money in the bank, but we were still not sure. Like it could have gone on for 12 months. If we, if it went on for 12 months, we would have been in a really hairy situation with no revenue. Mm -hmm. At the time, we didn't know we were going to do well and pick up and delivery either. So it was a really iffy moment. And he was like, I get that you're trying to, preserve what we've got now and make sure that we've got enough to get out of this how about we look at doing a salary sacrifice instead of just a standard pay cut and all of our team have options anyway and we want to run it as they own the business as well as us and they're all really lots lots of them not all of them but most of them are really entrepreneurial that's a big part of having a startup you want to it's almost like a little apprenticeship to doing something of your own one day totally yeah and if they get to contribute to the just the decisions like that around how we manage a team going forward, like we definitely listen to those pieces of advice. I can't take all the credit for that. I was like, that sounds like a great idea. Let's definitely do that. <laughs> and when you did actually go into a totally new market that I think you mentioned you weren't planning to do for maybe 12 months, if not longer, it isn't a market where you know, no one, no options existed previously. And that can be really scary entering a market where there are big players already. What do you think did make you guys so successful so quickly? What are your points of difference that you chose to run with that have gone really well? Sure. I think the fees, as we were talking about previously, made a huge difference. We charge four and a half percent as a starting fee. Like that's the most, that's a maximum that we charge a venue. And that includes payment 
fees include, you know, PayPal fees, includes SMS fees and everything. So it's a really simple, all-inclusive. And compared to the likes of Uber Eats and Deliveroo, which were the only options at the time, that was like a really different business model. We don't supply the drivers though. So the actual cost to running the CM is very different to the actual cost to running an Uber Eats or a Deliveroo. But at the time, all the restaurants had staff that could do the deliveries that weren't doing anything. Mm. So it was a good solution for the right moment. Uh, they had a lot of front of house and chefs and even themselves, a lot of the business owners did deliveries because they didn't have anything. They didn't have a restaurant to run and they wanted to keep the business and the brand going in some way as well. You know, on Misty, um, the platform has always been really simple and we've built it really simply for the dine-in business and then being able to just do it for pickup and delivery. If you already had a visual menu with Misty Arm, you could turn on ordering in like one second. Mm. If you already had a visual menu or some kind of ordering platform with Misty Arm, you could switch pickup and delivery on really, really quickly. It just literally one toggle. Wow. So that was probably a big differentiator as well, like being able to support customers through not a very big onboarding. That's always a plus. <laughs> yeah, just being able to get them live fast taking orders really quickly made a big difference and this actual second lockdown has been the same when it happened I asked the onboarding team I was like hey have you guys been inundated with people wanting to turn on pickup and delivery and they were like not really I think people know what to do they just like turn it on themselves and they know where to find the buttons yesterday they had dine-in running and today they've got pickup and delivery running and they're sweet so we didn't actually get as much of an influx in onboarding efforts this time because the restaurants and cafes and bars that were doing it previously knew what to do. So Yeah, it's interesting how quickly people adapt themselves, like our customers and the community, to being able to know what the options are. Yeah, It's been also wonderful to see how simple digital can be because I think a lot of businesses who haven't ever investigated, I mean, you started online, but for businesses who have had to shift from physical retail more to e-tail, it can seem very intimidating until you've actually heard stories like yours. So what would your advice be to any other sort of small to medium businesses who are making this shift for the first time into digital, but who I think have a lot of benefits to gain from the pivot? Yeah, you're an expert in this too, having had a really successful e-commerce business for (laughs) a long time. So I'm sure you can give them some advice as well. I'm not the only one in this. I think the switch is actually, there's very little education to be done from a consumer point of view. Consumers have all purchased food on their phone, through a website, through a app before. There's very little to tell them about in terms of how to use an online ordering solution. Everyone knows how to use one. So for a merchant, there shouldn't be much fear around how are your customers going to like the experience? They've been liking the experience for a while now. They're used <laughs> to doing it. So there's not there's not much you have to do in terms of getting them across the line. I think the advice for, for merchants making that transition is your online store is only a platform and, and it's as good as you make it. You can't just put a store up online and expect orders to come through and expect revenue to happen. And you would know this through your e-commerce. I remember doing an e-commerce business for the first time creating the website, publishing the website, and then just going to Google and searching for the website and then not finding it and not understanding how not understanding how Google indexes websites and not understanding like it takes time to crawl a website and it, not understanding how SEO work like so many, this was eight, nine years ago now. So get help in terms of, you know, you've got customers, hundreds, maybe thousands 
of them that have used and purchased from you and ordered and dined at your venue before if you can get their emails and like phone numbers if you can find lists of from your booking platforms or from your wi-fi networks like whatever list you've got from uh, people that have ordered from you and experienced your product before try and get them and then put them into a crm like go and get mailchimp or go and get my guest list or impact data or any of the hospo driven marketing platforms and they'll help you like they'll set you up with the simplest email and sms campaign and we did an experiment with our venues and we sent out a Friday, like 3 p.m. SMS. And I think we got like a 25% conversion wow. just through a 3 p.m. Friday SMS because you don't get SMSs. Here's a 10% or 20% discount code for dinner tonight. Like no one gets emails or text messages like that because food and bed businesses haven't been very good at the marketing aspect of their business. So yeah, I would say like get the online store and you can get that set up on Mistyam in like days. But don't forget the other aspect, which is how to market and sell your brand and your product. Mm, oh, my gosh. So many lessons from that. <laughs> what would have been your biggest learnings or takeaways and things that you think you'll continue with the business? Like I assume that you'll keep on takeaway and delivery. Absolutely. What are the things you'll take out of it? And what are the other things that you think you'll leave behind? I think the thing that we'll take out of it from a overall business point of view we'll definitely keep the takeaway and delivery parts of our business even if it doesn't make out a huge percentage of our overall transactions having a product where you can just switch one day and switch another day that's what businesses need at this time like this lockdown in melbourne lockdown number two it happened so fast if they didn't have a platform that they could switch between dining and delivery and pick up like that would have been really stressful getting a whole nother menu stood up and a whole nother website stood up. So being able to adapt and being able to switch, like we'll just, we'll always keep it running and improve the product, even if it doesn't make up a huge percentage of our business. Probably the one thing that I'll remember and really try and always remember from this experience is just to listen to your customers. We found it to be a really amazing opportunity to just have some pretty authentic and honest conversations about where they were at and how we could best help. And the closer we stayed to them, the better we got at building the right product and the better, and, and as well, like the better our brand reputation became. 70, 80% of our applications into Mistyum to try and uh, jump on Mistyum are from word of mouth. Business at the moment comes from inbound and it comes from people hearing about it from other people and that's not because we've told them what to do it's because they've told us what they wanted and we've reacted so I think just staying close to your customer and listening to them and trying to be there with the right solutions at the right time. Well it sounds like you've been doing that right from the very beginning with the PayPal requests <laughs> all the way through to <laughs> yeah. to what you're offering now. So where can we find you now if we wanted to become a merchant or order from Mr. So, Yum? Yeah you just jump on mryum.com. Pretty simple and there's a merchant page. Um, there's also like a local discovery page for people that are living in specific areas that can find uh, restaurants and merchants that are on Mr. Yum in those specific areas as well. Amazing. I'm so hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Kim, for joining. This has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much, Sarah. Make sure you all tune in every fortnight to join PayPal and myself for more of The Adaptables.